Welcome to the podcast, Selling Real Estate with Kelly Cook, where we will discuss the latest and most relevant business strategies to help you do one thing extremely well, sell more homes. We'll discuss everything from business planning to lead generation and conversion to past client customer service and everything in between. Join us for authentic conversations and nuts and bolts takeaways you can implement into your business today. And now, Selling Real Estate with Kelly Cook. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is another great day of selling real estate with Kelly Cook. And, uh, you know, as slash selling real estate with Kelly Cook slash investing in real estate with Kelly Cook, as you know, on this podcast, we um, we talk about a variety topic of topics all having to do with real estate. Um, and investing is one that Kelly's passionate about. Kelly, real quick, before we get into this, tell me what was your first real your first investment purchase what kind of like tell me about that a little bit yeah okay okay this is gonna be awesome right because this is uh i'm so passionate about real estate investing it's not even funny right like i love it um and all the fun things you can do with it because there are a lot of fun things um the first first ever property was actually in lincoln nebraska represent represent <laughs> i was going to school there guys as you can see by all the stuff in the background right you know university of nebraska shout out to the cornhuskers right mm -hmm. and uh um, love it. And, um, my stepdad at the time, he's the one who, who kind of brought it up. He's like, Hey, look, you're, you're renting a house, right? When you have some, some buddies, some roommates, et cetera. Um, why not, why not, you know, buy a house and, and they can all rent from you. And I was like, well, I, I can't afford a house. He's like, yes, you can. I'm like, okay, how is that? So here's one creative way right here, guys. He's what he did was he goes, I'm going to co-sign for you. All right, I'm gonna co-sign for you. And then the down payment portion of the loan, he's like, I'm going to do a private note with you on the side. So the house to this day, the house, the house, if I remember correctly, was eighty thousand dollars. That's right, eight zero. Yeah, right? okay. Lincoln, Nebraska, small little house. Dating Kelly a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, we all should have bought like two hundred right. of those, right? Like, mm -hmm. but um. And so uh, it was by eighty thousand dollars, and um, he and 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 twenty percent on that is what sixteen thousand dollars or so. So we probably to put on twenty percent down because you know maybe not even that because who knows what the loan programs were like back, mm -hmm. like back then. And I was going to live there, although and I was on the loan, but I was co-signed. So um, the sixteen thousand dollars, let's say, if that's what it was, um, he he put up. I, I maybe put whatever I had, maybe a thousand bucks or something, right? You know, you're a college uh, that was, student, yeah. That, yeah, that was his collateral, right? And I was working, you know, I was we were, I was obviously playing football and and going to school, um, at least trying to, right? And uh, but I was I was I had a couple little you know summer job on the side. I had a little I refereed basketball, guys. And side note, sidebar: if you're a college student, there's no better job than to referee basketball games. And by the way, bas there's basketball games all year long, pretty much, right? Almost, right? So like. You can do the job almost all year long. And the great thing about it is you can go knock out like three games. So let's say you don't want to work a six-hour shift at Kohl's or something, right? You know, you can knock out three hours, three three games, and you're moving around a little bit. You're, you know, refereeing basketball. And they pay – the pay is always way above minimum wage, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. back then it was like you get like 20 bucks a game. So now it's probably 25 or something, right? You know, I don't know. For like refereeing a bunch of fifth graders, right? So, yeah. So, I mean – it's a great, it's a great side side gig to do. And so, anyways, um, I put some money up. That was his collateral, if you will, right? And in fact, I'm his stepson, so he, you know, I guess somewhat trusted me. And uh, um, and that was the deal. And we closed. What's that? 
<laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I said at least he knew where to find you if it didn't work out. So exactly. you know, I don't know if it's trust, but you know, he knew he could he could get a hold of you. <laughs> no doubt, right? He knew where to find me. And so so all those things combined, he gave it to me. And so there, by the way, guys, there are people out there in your world, in your life right now that will do what my stepdad did for me. Right. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, was my stepdad rich? Not at all. He, but he had a normal, he was like, a, um, some sort of engineer of some type. Right. And he just, so he, it, point is he had $16,000 mm-hmm. to lend to somebody that he wanted to help out because he saw them working hard, trying their best, that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. It's easy to help someone who wants to help themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're not helping yourself, it's going to be hard to find that person, convince that person to actually go in business with you to help you on anything. Or if you're not a person of integrity, it's going to be very hard for that person to actually want to even, they could be a multi billionaire. It won't matter. They won't give you a they dime. They won't trust you with it. Yeah. They won't trust you with it. That's exactly right. So you got to be a person of integrity, a person who, who, you know, whose word means something and they do what they say they'll do, who works hard. So they know that there's a little bit of risk. But with you, the risk is mitigated substantially because of all those things, right? There's good quality. So be a good person and, and you'll you'll come across those people who actually will will do those type of deals for you if you're willing to put in some sweat equity. You don't it doesn't have to be all about the money, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, we did that deal. He closed on it. I moved in. My three remained in. They paid rent and it was awesome because I lived, not only did I live for free, I think I made like 150 bucks a month or something, right? Like mm-hmm. it was incredible. And so in that situation, you got to be careful though, right? You know, you don't, if your buddies know you're the landlord, then, then yeah, right? Yeah. So, so hey, buddy, I'm a little short this, this month, you know? So like, you know, I had my stepdad, I always said my stepdad owned the house, and which he did, right? He was a part owner and mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? So, but that's that's the first deal we did. And that just lit the fire for me yeah, to say- Yeah, got a taste of that. Oh, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. And then I didn't even know anything about taxes. I didn't know anything about any of that stuff. All I knew is that I was able to live rent-free with the- buddies I want I was going to live with anyway mm-hmm. and and then on top of it the house might just appreciate too right right um and you might have some principal buy down which which you will so it was awesome um I actually that's the only house in my entire career my entire life that I've never sold that it actually kept as a rental for a period of time outside of you know a couple of homes that um you know were were flips back in the day right when mm-hmm. when uh, the market went down I didn't get rid of those quick right that kind of thing but um that's it that's it. So uh, everything else I've, I've usually keep and I love to hold because holding is investing. Yes. Which yeah. brings us into kind of to, thanks for sharing that story, Kelly. Cause like I, that was your first investment, which you started at a very young age and kind of you started investing before you got into real estate, right? Like before you yeah. actually got into real estate, that was kind of the lead in for you. For a lot of our audience, our listeners, I, I think that it, you know, maybe um, that you were an investor turned agent. Um, maybe you, uh, you know, have been investing for a while. But for a lot of you that are have been successful in real estate, your agents, um, and you're thinking about investing, um, I think that we've talked a lot about finding a good deal. What what a good deal means. What the benefits are of you know your taxes and and why all the reasons why you should start investing in real estate, especially as a real estate agent, because you already kind of have a leg up on on properties yep. and um, the understanding of it all. But today we want to kind of talk a little bit more about what you 
do once you have found a good deal, um, you have decided on an investment property, the numbers work for you, right? We've talked a lot about that. Go revisit some old episodes um, if you're if you're kind of just tuning in and, and want to get started in that. But today we are going to dive a little bit deeper into what those next steps look like. So Kelly, let us let us have it. What what I I am a brand new investor. I just found a property. I said yes. These numbers are going to work for me. Um, yeah, you know this is a good deal. I can see it's a good investment. I buy it. You know, mm-hmm. I I I put up the money for it. I find the money. Somebody gives me some money, right? What do I yep. do now? Yeah, great question. Before I answer that, let me just take a step back and and tell you this quick story about a gentleman I just sat on a panel with yesterday. Okay, this guy is a real estate agent, and uh, but he's but but now he is an investor, right? He's an investor first, and he just happens to still be a real estate agent, right? But um, his story is awesome because I'm on the panel with talking to some agents about investing, real estate investing as realtors, right? Because we're already in the, the the catbird seat, right? We're already there because of the fact that we are real estate professionals. Real estate professionals, in terms of how holding a license, already gives us a leg up because, for a couple different ways, from a tax standpoint, you don't have to have your license for the IRS to um, consider you a real estate professional. You have to just do a couple things, right? Like have so many hours per year that you put into a, a real estate uh, endeavor. You have to, you know, make sure it's fifty percent or more of your time of, of something that you do full, t- you know, blah blah blah. All these other material participating, all these other things, right? That we won't go into right now. But um, you're already by default going to be qualifying for all those things if you're a full time real estate agent for the most part, right? So you're you're in the catbird seat from that standpoint. So what what this realtor was talking about, which is awesome. His story is great because his story is about his about himself and his dad, right? His dad was a real estate agent for 40 years in the Phoenix area. And he just, he killed it, right? Did a very good job, uh, made made a boatload of money, right? Doing real estate sales. However, what what uh, this agent realized is that over the, over the years, his dad made other people a lot more money than whatever it was that he made yeah. because he was always helping investors buy rental houses to hold, to flip, whatever it may be. And he never became the principal. He was so just getting I, a small piece of the pie yeah. of the transaction and not any of the real upside. Yeah. That's right. That's right. There's always a better deal to be had if you are the principal. So I talk to our team all the time about be the principal, be the principal, right? Be the principal first. Think like that first. If someone's looking at, to talk to you because you're a real estate professional about selling a house, then you should be thinking right away, is this something that maybe I could buy? And not that you're going to take advantage of them, right? That's not the point at all. Because first of all, most people are smart to realize that that's going to be the case and you don't ever want to do that. Um, but the reality is, is if you're going to hold the property, you don't need to, to, to take advantage of anybody. You don't need to buy it severely under market value or whatever the case may be, right? Like some people who, who, who need to if they're going to flip a house. You just need to buy it for market value, assuming the market value is good for the type of financing you're going to uh, use to purchase it. Or I should say just the acquisition strategy in general, right? Could be cash. And what the rental rates are for that area, right? The market rents. So that's the deal, right? So be the principal. Think about owning real estate first as opposed to represent rep- representation if you're a real estate agent. Now, if you're not a real estate agent and you have another uh, industry you work in, that's totally fine too. There's all kinds of fun ways you can try to uh, become a, a real estate professional, right? Uh, in the eyes of the IRS, um, which has nothing to do with a license. Um, but um, from that standpoint... I would highly recommend for anyone who has a as, as a house. Well, let me back up here, Elizabeth. You just have a gut feeling when you know that this is probably a good deal. There, I, I don't know about you, but like you're sitting in a situation, someone's talking about some scenario, and 
you don't have to be an expert whatsoever in anything to know, hold on, that seems like, because I know that area my neighborhood I live in, I'm not real say, I, I, maybe I'm a school teacher, whatever it is, right? But I bought my house for X. I know Cindy Street, on the house on the street, but sold for X. And you're saying you want to sell for, wait, hmm, right? It's something you just know when there mm-hmm. could be potentially a good deal. But the problem know is- Know a good deal when you see one, yeah. You know a good deal when you see one, you feel that, right? And that's a gut uh, instinct there. But the problem is most people don't know how to put the deal together. That's the biggest problem. And so you need to either A, educate yourself or B or both, get in contact with somebody who will um, maybe not just go and help you put the deal together for um, and, and take the deal over, but partner with you to educate you. And in the trenches, you can learn about how you, it is that can make this deal work the best way possible because there's so many different options, guys. Options are the, the the currency, right? Options are the currency for real estate investing to know which is the best way to structure a deal um, for you uh, long-term, right? I mean, anyone can flip, right? Flipping is not investing. Flipping is a job, right? Okay. So now going back to your question, you have a deal that feels, it feels right. Mm-hmm. You you might even ran the numbers because someone taught you how to do that, how to underwrite a deal. Now, how do you maximize um, the the property? So that you can obviously take advantage of the most income and, and, and tax strategies or whatever it may be, right? You're making your investment actually be a real investment that's working for you. Like how, yeah. How are you going to do that? Make the most out of your investment. Yeah. Make the most out of your investment. Okay. So there's a couple of different things. If you're going to hold long-term, there's only a few different things you can do, right? You could do um, a long-term unfurnished rental, long-term hold, right? Someone's going to move in for 12 months or more and they bring in their own furniture and away we go. Um, that's going to always typically be the lowest monthly gross that's going to come in on the property income, right? Um, and Or you could do a short-term rental. Um, short-term rental meaning like an Airbnb or VRBO, but then you have restrictions with that, right? You have some states, some municipalities that won't allow it. You have um, some HOAs, homeowners associations that will not allow it. More upkeep, probably like got to have it cleaned for every like, yeah. you know, different person. You, once you take on a short-term rental, you are entering the hospitality industry. You are now basically like somewhere to a super mini hotel. And so now you have to make sure the linens are correct and you have to make sure the house is clean every time and all these other things, right? That come along with that, right? Make sure the shampoo bottles are full. Um, so that's that's in many ways another job. Uh, but it is investing because maybe you could have someone else like a property manager or whomever take care of it for you, right? Now, the platforms of Airbnb and VRBO do make it definitely easy enough to do it yourself, but there's some time involved with that, right? It's not to kind of set it and forget it, right? Then you have midterm. This is this is the uh, the next the next most um, trendy thing in real estate investing. You have the midterm holds, right? These are traveling nurses. These are companies like Furnish Finders. They they run a lot of midterm rentals. These are people that uh, or or HOAs or communities that will only allow you to at least rent it furnished, but you have to at least do thirty days minimum, right? Well, that creates a problem because Airbnb that's tough for that, right? So then you have these these companies like Furnish Finders and whatnot that will help place traveling nurses and people that are on contract for work, that kind of thing, who are going to be there maybe 30 days, one month, up to six months, maybe even a year, right? So almost like the extended stay hotel. Yeah, yeah. And, and think about it. There's a lot of insurance companies out there that love this aspect too because they have people that are be, having to be displaced because of a water loss or a fire and they're going to go on and fix it up, right? Uh, this insurance company is going to pay for that and they're going to pay for the housing for the family. Well, the family needs furniture because the furniture is all in storage and now all or got lost in the fire or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And so they need a place that's furnished and they may not need it for a year because the rehab might take six months, whatever, right? So that there's a big market for that out there. And so you have to know the places to go to try to find 
uh, and put yourself in the way, your house in the way yeah. of those people, right? Mm-hmm. So they find you. How to actually yeah. get exposure, yeah. Yeah, and you will make more money the shorter the term is by general rule of thumb when it comes to the length of stay of a tenant, right? Short term, the most, and then you have obviously midterm and then long-term. Now, the other thing is you, you could do possibly a um, – um, some sort of um, ADU, some sort of uh, disability house, some sort of maybe um, you could do a, um, uh, a, a retirement home, but a long-term care facility. You can yeah. do things like that, right? But again, that depends on your your municipality, your laws. Um, it depends on your HOAs, any covenants or restrictions that you have in that community. So, and then, and then of course that you might need to have someone, full-time employees be there, right? Nurses or whatever it is, right? So, there's, there's more to it. it becomes almost like a business, but when it comes to, um, real estate investing, I personally love the long-term hold. I love, um, having a property that I know is going to cash flow, Um, and based upon the debt, I'm going to put on the property and I'm going to be able to hold it for a long time and not have that much to do with it. And a lot of those properties, the single family homes, you don't need a property manager necessarily. If you, if you're okay being a little hands-on because most of the time, especially if you have gap insurance, I call gap insurance home warranties, right? Yeah. If you have a home warranty, then you have some gap insurance between your deductible, hopefully, and um, a big loss, like a roof or something like that. And so um, if, if the, the sink is leaking or the toilet is leaking, you can just call them or have the tenant even do it. You can have provisions in the lease that require the tenant to do it. And you get the home warranty to take care of it. They come out and schedule the tenant directly, and you pay the service call fee, or the tenant does based upon your lease negotiation. And it, and that's it. And it's done. It's done. Um, and so you don't have to even worry about trying to find that contractor, that plumber, that that AC guy, because the home warranty company just covered. takes care of it. Mm-hmm. Correct, right? So there's ways to get around to make it a little more passive. But at the end of the day, it's not 100% passive. Almost nothing is, right? Um, but there are so many other advantages to it that I could go on and on and on all day long about, about the real estate investing world. The, how you maximize it is figuring out what strategy you want to do based upon you know how the length of stay of the tenant, right? Mm-hmm. And then once you figure that out, now hopefully you've, you've already underwritten it, right, for this before you close on the property. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about um, you know closing on the property. You found a property that you think is a good deal. Maybe you, wrote, you underwrote the property. You put all the expenses basically in there. You know what your monthly... Debt servicing is going to be on your loan if you're if you're doing financing, and then you know what the monthly rent is going to be. So you take the gross of the so, rent minus just so expenses. I'm clear, yep. it's it's you kind of have to make that decision on if this is going to be uh you know an Airbnb, this is going to be a uh, uh long term rental, this is going to be a flip, whatever it is. You have to you can't just buy a property and be like I'll figure out what I'm going to do with that in a little bit after I bought it, you kind of have to have that plan going into <laughs> you purchasing the property so that you can run the numbers accurately, all of that. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And then you know what your return on investment is going to be. So our our basic uh, underwriting spreadsheet that has formulas all pre, uh, you know, pre-done, um, it is um, a, a, a spreadsheet that calculates two main things. That's what I want to know. And that does other things too. But the two main things that I want to know is return on investment, uh, I otherwise known as cash on cash return for the most part, right? And what's that percentage? And the cap rate, right? The cap rate is the capitalization rate it's using in commercial underwriting uh, for commercial buildings uh, for sure. But in residential, it should be used too, in my opinion. And what that basically is giving you an idea of what the return on investment will be um, less the debt structure that you have on right. the property. So net operating income, et cetera. So um, those two things, I have I've, I've metrics that I personally am looking to hit. And if it doesn't hit those metrics, I pass. 
It's not a so, good deal. Correct. So when someone asks me, hey, are you buying properties now? Because the market's a little, maybe a little wonky right now. Are you going to just hold off and wait? No. Um, one of the best investors I know uh, made a comment a long time ago. He said, hey, ask me if I buy properties when the market's going up. And the person asked him and he goes, yes. He goes, now, now ask me, do I, do I buy properties when the market's going down? And he goes, yes. So it's, it's, there's never a bad time. Does the property fit your model or does it not? Because we both know that there's deals out there to be had in an appreciating market and a depreciating market, right? So absolutely, you want to you want to be looking to purchase properties at all times in any given market and always be looking to be the principal. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Oh, and then, so, and then and financing. Let me ask you, let me tell, yeah. say this one thing here, Elizabeth, financing. Okay. So if you're going to do financing, there's different things you can do. Now, if it's, if it's outside of your marketplace, um, I think the rules like 50 or 60 miles lending guidelines, you can still buy a home with second home financing, which is usually 10% down. That's it. And you can, you can proceed with only, you know, financing 90% of it, which is great if the numbers all work. Conversely, or, or if you're not doing that, it's got to be investment property. Investment properties start with 20% down financing. Fannie and Freddie back loans are going to be the best for that. You can buy, you can, you can hold up to 10 um, GSE or Fannie Freddie loans, back loans uh, at any given time. Once you get above 10, because you have more than 10 properties that are all financed, then you have to go to alternate financing. But Fannie and Freddie are awesome. You put 20% down. You do your calculations of what that will, what that will end up being. And then you have a, a net number that hopefully will cash flow. And the biggest reason people don't get into real estate investing when it comes to like long-term holds mm -hmm. is because they do the first deal, they underwrite it, they look at the numbers and they go, eh, that's only going to, you know, they put 20% down, right? That's only going to cash flow $175 a month. Mm -hmm. That's not very much for all that headache that possibly could happen. Nah, that's not worth it, right? Everyone's looking for the home run, the well, right? They want to catch. And oh, it's yeah. like, just like investing like, in the stock market. You're yeah. waiting to, to be the first investor in, in Amazon, yeah. uh, where that is very few and far between. But time in the market, um, time, time in the market, or you know, it, time with your investments is yep. better than than holding out for a, a slam dunk deal that you you don't know if it's going to happen ever. That's right. It's like, of course, the guy or gal who owns you know 30 Burger Kings is going to be doing a lot better than the one who owns just one Burger King. Right. And if you look at the balance sheet, or, or I should say the PL of just one Burger King, it's probably not, depends on a lot of factors, right? But it probably is not like, you know, it's probably decent, but it's not like, whoa, that's that's an amazing business to own. But if you could buy 40 Burger Kings all at once because you had the ability to do so, that probably brings in a healthy number that you'd be like, holy cow, this is an amazing business, right? Look at the profit on this sucker, right? So it's all in duplication in in volume. And you know, you're gonna hit your your triples. They're gonna they're gonna come along, your home runs. But man, if you can just hit single after single after single and get that 200 bucks, that yeah. 200 bucks, because over time, rates might go down. You can refinance. Now, boom, there's more money for you. Um, rental rates could go up. That's what happened here in Phoenix over the last like Four years, holy cow, rental rates skyrocketed, right? Because it was kind of undervalued, unappreciated for the past, you know, decade or two, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and it finally just caught up to where many major markets across the country are have been at for quite some time. It finally made that run with the all the inflation and all that fun stuff. And and so now as a landlord, it's like, wow, you know, I just, you know, the lease do you know to for renewal and I just increased the the rent. I, I one of my properties, literally, literally, I'm in a conversation right now, true story. Just this morning, I had a conversation with a tenant who's looking to renew, and she's like, "What's the new rate going to be?" And after a little bit of a break, because I didn't want to go full market rent, the increase on on the rent from I think it was eighteen months ago, five hundred dollars a month. 
500 a month. And so now that potentially creates some issues with her because will she be able to stay? Will she not? All that's fun stuff, right? But the reality is, is, is if I, if she leaves and I go to the open market, I could potentially get 650 more a month. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so anyways, um, that's not, that's not common, but, um, it's just that I, I she had a pretty good deal for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those go up over and time. They don't even and- forget. I was going to say, don't even forget about the fact that this is still it, it like in the long term. this is still a, um, a safety net in, in a way for you. It, it like, this is still, you're still building equity into the home. Homes are still going to appreciate. So it's still a, even if the cash flow month after month doesn't seem like that much, it's still ownership in a in a large amount of money that you are paying down, which is going to pay off in years, right? So like I mean, and, and a big payoff in years yeah, comparatively you, to your monthly cash flow. Absolutely. You got you got multiple different ways to win financially with owning real estate. You have cash flow, you have appreciation, you have um depreciation from a tax standpoint or all the tax write-offs, right? And you have principal buy down that, by the way, someone else is doing it for you. So there's probably a couple more if I just went really deep in the back of my brain here, right? But like the reality is there's there's four right there that are huge and they're all bonuses to the person who owns the asset. So Mm -hmm. um, does it come with some headaches? It can, absolutely, right? And do you have deals with times where- Yeah, nothing comes easy. Anything anything worthwhile is, is- is is worth doing right those those endeavors right but like the reality is like you know you're gonna have to place a roof every once in a while and that stinks yes um but my favorite quote that i've been saying a lot right here recently is this i don't know anybody elizabeth if you do too let me know but i don't know anyone that said man i shouldn't have bought that house 10 years ago in this market no (laughs) anyone in the country right in any market i this take 2008 in Phoenix where 2009 where the market went crashing down and there's a good chance if you bought the house in 1999 there's a good chance even after it crashed you know you may have still had equity right oh yeah potentially mm-hmm. right I mean it crashed hard in Phoenix so don't get me wrong here yeah. there was some really bad spots but but uh the point is it's like and even if you did as long as you could hopefully that with the equity and the payment you had because you didn't like you know maximize the financing at 100 percent you could probably still afford it in 0809 when the market was just awful and you can ride it out hopefully right that's the whole mm-hmm. concept you know that's the whole concept so mm-hmm. there there's we're going to do a podcast here uh, just you know from a real estate professional's point of view not a professional CPA point of view point of view excuse me but we're going to do a podcast just on the tax benefits alone mm-hmm. of real estate because that is near to my heart. That's something I'm really super passionate about. I think about. that we've scratched the surface a couple um, yeah. episodes ago, probably before uh, the end of the year, to t- talking about you should buy a property before the end True. of the year in order for taxes. So go back and um, watch that, listen to that. But we'll def- – again, I was scratching the surface. And Kelly, I just had a thought. So um, – as you all know, if you listen to this podcast, uh, I'm going to remind you, please go to buildyourrealestateteam.com so that you can get Kelly's full like blueprint of how to get started in that. But since Kelly, I know this is something that is super near and dear to your heart. I think we should also create another landing page with uh, how to invest in real estate uh, with Kelly Cook <laughs> and kind of lay out some of your your tips, tricks, and uh, blueprint for that too. So stay tuned, guys. That, that might be coming up That's soon. That's a great idea. So yes, so build your real estate team, uh, go there, get the modules, um, download that. But on the other side, if you're interested in investing too, we'll have something coming up uh, here too, because that is something that Kelly has also dabbled in. And I'm sure, I mean, more than dabbled in, and I'm sure 
has made a few mistakes along the way, has learned some of the best practices, as you can um, you can tell he's he's pretty knowledgeable on this. So if Love anybody it. wants to uh, call you, you know, before that landing page comes out and get your tips and tricks on investing, on building a real estate team, on, um, you know, real estate in general, what they should be doing for success, or just pick your brain on any of that, Kelly, where can they reach you? Absolutely. Uh, 480-227-2028. Text or call, guys. Uh, or info at cookandassociatesaz.com. There you have it. Well, I will see you next week, Kelly, and we will see all of you next week as well with some more tips and tricks. Maybe next week will be uh, will be our deep dive into taxes. Um, either way, it'll be coming up soon, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, Elizabeth. Appreciate yeah. everybody. Bye, Kelly. See you guys. Welcome to the podcast, Selling Real Estate with Kelly Cook, where we will discuss the latest and most relevant business strategies to help you do one thing extremely well, sell more homes. We'll discuss everything from business planning to lead generation and conversion to past client customer service and everything in between. Join us for authentic conversations and nuts and bolts takeaways you can implement into your business today. And now, Selling Real Estate with Kelly Cook.